Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 6 of series 2 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Big shout out again to our sponsors, Vintry Harbour Asset Management and the Shire Bar and Cafe in Killarney. Big thanks again guys for the support, you really appreciate it. This week we're delighted to be joined by former Glasgow City star and co-founder of Onyx FC, Lauren McCorchy. The former Scottish underage star won every single domestic title in Scotland on multiple times over a 10-year period with Glasgow City FC. Lauren moved to the UAE a few years ago and set up the country's first female-only football club, Onyx FC. Empowering and aspiring female footballers to learn and develop is the core of what the club is about. There is no doubt we've a huge amount to cover, so let's bring her on. Hi Lauren, thanks for taking time out to come on into view podcast. I appreciate it. How are you keeping? Um, good, thanks. How are you? Very good, very good. We're uh, we're recording this now in the the lead up to Christmas, and a lot of sports teams have uh, have taken a break, but not yourselves. Uh, you just have to come back from training. Yeah. So um, tonight was just a few of the first team and the social team that we formed this year. Um, a lot of the girls that play in the first team are teachers, so a lot of them have already headed home. Um, but there is a few here, so we just thought we'd continue doing some sessions if there's appetite for it so we had a good 12 girls tonight so it was good good to get a run around you know oh yeah no definitely and it's, it's something i'm going to um i'm going to delve into there soon just about onyx fc and you know how it came about and plans going forward um because i think it's, it's definitely definitely big plans and, and hopes and ambitions for for it in in dubai and and and, and wider field yeah, definitely. It's a it's an exciting time. Listen, um, as you say, we'll probably go into it a bit more later, but it's just something um, I'm really proud to be a part of. And at the end of the day, I, I love football. And it's my passion. So you know, after having the session tonight, I was feeling awfully lethargic today. I was on the couch earlier this afternoon, thinking, "Oh God, I've got to go out for a session." But then you you go, you get it done, and you come back, and you it's like any sort of exercise, you know, like you just feel so much better after it. So um, yeah, definitely exciting times. Well, you, you do have a pretty particular story. Um, I know you did your cruise ship two, three times and somebody told me you actually did it over here as well, uh, which I, I couldn't find on online. So you've done your cruise ship four times. That that must uh, have been quite, uh, quite uh, you know, the negative effects and the psychology definitely played, played a role there, did it? Well, yeah, so I have, I've done my cruise ship three times. Um, the injury I had over here wasn't the injury, but it was meniscus. Um, so I tore my, my meniscus. So I did have to have surgery and get it removed, but thankfully it wasn't as uh, severe a recovery time as ACL. So um, Dean was wrong there, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had the surgery over here, um, but thankfully it was a meniscus issue. So that was just a couple months rather than, you know, the whole nine months to a year sort of situation. So um, yeah, I've had um, five surgeries in total. I had a meniscus at home before I moved here. So, um, perfect, yeah. perfect. That we'll, we'll delve into the site, you know, the 
psychology around around that as well and the effect it had on you. Um, but I suppose look, COVID, how did you deal with that? Um, and what was it like here in Dubai? Did you still do a bit of training? Yeah, so I actually, I live in Dubai now, but I actually lived in Fajera when I first moved here. Um, for anyone that doesn't know where Fajera is, it's like the opposite coast of Dubai. So it's on the east side of the UAE. And it's definitely less glamorous and um there's much more sort of a desert sort of living I say so um I was actually really lucky in COVID I had two flatmates um so I was still able to you know like everyone was doing like the sort of online um sort of hit sessions or we just had quite a, a roomy apartment so we were able to um do sort of like circuit training or some sort of exercise and I had a small balcony, so I actually had a football. I just did keep you up in the balconies on the days. <laughs> just, just, you know, it was, I don't know how big, it was just like, I don't know, five, five by five yards maybe, but it was enough just to keep going, you know, just getting your foot on the ball. And um, yeah, I was lucky, to be fair, compared to a lot of people I had um, enough opportunity and people there to train with, you know. How did you deal with that period, you know, from a mental and psychological, you know, perspective? Um, I suppose the biggest thing is what takeaways did you have from it as well? Um, it was tough, you know, like I'm obviously used to training a lot, being in like a team environment a lot, like four or five times a week. Um, as I say, I was lucky I had two flatmates um, staying with me in the same apartment. So I had that kind of social interaction anyway, rather than being on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just got into a good routine. We, I'm a teacher, so we were teaching online. So basically during the weeks, it was, we just kind of tried to treat it like a normal week. So we'd have our online lessons that we would teach in our rooms or in whatever area and um, then like afternoon time like we'd do our exercise or we'd do some sort of activity um, towards a lot of part of COVID we're able to at least go out and walk around their building because our building was kind of in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. go out, walk at like sunset time come back sh- sort of make dinner like we just tried to have that routine and then we sat down in the evening time and we had a projector so we had like a like a move every night was like a different movie sort of thing so we just tried to kind of keep a routine and um, keep away the sort of boredom as much as possible. But um, I, I, we actually quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed the sort of um, the time. But as I say, I was lucky to have people there um, with me going through yeah. the same thing, you know. So. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And it, it, would, it would be much more difficult if you're, you know, very isolated in, in that situation. Um, and what takeaways did you have? Obviously, COVID is still a thing, but it's a... It's, uh, it's, it's obviously quite bad in the UK and Ireland, but it's kind of it's not too bad over here in Dubai. Life is pretty much back to, to, norm, to normal. Yeah, like I think 100%. I, I'm, I feel so lucky to have actually been over here during it. Like it was very... Were you over here when it was when it happened no. as well? No, I just came over in, in uh, a couple of months ago, about four months ago. So I was back in, back in Ireland. But yeah, I heard it was still quite quite strict for the first couple of weeks and it, it's, it's obviously it's grand notes just wearing a mask walking around apart from that it's pretty normal yeah see the well I, I feel really lucky to be here because it's kind of been we were very strict between March like when it first happened between March and the summer like July it was literally you had to be in your house from seven at night or eight at night until like six in the morning or something um and it was like an alarm would go off on your phone every single night and it was like you need to be indoors it was like the you know the purge when the alarm goes off it was like that on your uh, on the phone so it was really really strict to begin with I don't obviously people kind of looking in now see Dubai and it's kind of like expos going on and it's open and we're kind of out the other side of it but 
from in those months it was very very strict and you literally couldn't go anywhere you couldn't go to shops um, I know people that lived in Dubai actually needed a permit to actually leave their front door um, and everyone kind of um, really really stuck by the rules here and just was it was really strict and you were kind of scared to like do anything sort of thing um, so I think that was really good that that happened at that time and then since then it's kind of kind of moved forward and we've not kind of went back um, so I'm just really grateful for that and I feel lucky that I've been over here and I think I would have really really struggled at home um, during COVID so I'm just really grateful that I've been here yeah, and the, the weather makes everything much uh, much better as well, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, I like to to, get, to to bring you know listeners back through the, the interviewee's career um, and life and how the how it shaped shaped the person into the art who into who they are today. Um, so for people who who wouldn't know, you know, you, you played with Glasgow for ten years, but before that, um. What's your earliest memories of uh, of football that stands out in your in your mind? And where did you grow up initially? Um, well, I was born in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we lived there for about four years, maybe just outside Aberdeen. Um, don't really have much memories of football there. I, I remember being kind of out in the garden and stuff with my dad. I don't. It's not really got memories there. It was when we moved. We moved to Kinross when I was about five which is a small town outside of Perth. Um, and that's where I, there was like a local park and they had like um, sort of sessions on at the weekend. And so I just went along there and played with the boys there. Um, and I always remember it being absolutely freezing. I don't know why. <laughs> it was always cold when I went down there playing football. Um, that's kind of my earliest memories of football, um, to be quite honest. And just, I don't know. I just loved it from whenever I started it, really. Um, and obviously my dad was just really keen to take me along and could see how much I liked it. And um, it wasn't until I moved to Perth um, that I joined St. Johnston, like my first girls team. Um, still played with boys at school um, and that sort of thing, because there wasn't many girls playing um, when I was younger um, compared to now. But um, yeah, I joined my first girls team at eight. I think it was about eight. Um, St. Johnston, yeah. So um, the sort of more clear, vivid memories kind of just come at that time when I moved mm-hmm. to Perth, you know, when I was eight years old. And that's when I kind of really kicked on football wise. And you wouldn't think with um, a girls team from eight years old on roughly would have been. Yeah. 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 No, I, what was it like? You know, was there any obviously women in sport and and all that is is um is very important. Now, back then, was it kind of seen? Did you get any kickback from boys or any, any comments? Uh, not necessarily comments or anything, but my dad would, um, so a Perth, um, the team in Perth, St. Johnston, um, and they had, um, they've got like a sort of an astral pitch next to their stadium. So, um, they used to put on sessions on the weekends. You could just pay and go along and get coached, like kind of get coached by, um, the staff that worked there. And it was more just that the boys went past me initially, <laughs> like you would go and I'd say to my dad, oh, I don't want to go. Like I'm the only girl, like the boys won't pass. Um, but as the weeks went on, like the ball came to me, like it's impossible to keep the ball like, away from someone, like it's anyway. Um, so like the more I kind of um, fortuitously took the ball, like they could see I actually was quite good. So then I just kind of I earned enough respect from them for them to actually pass to me, I think. But um, I, I didn't really get any like bad comments of that. But it's just it's hard when you're a young girl and you're the only one that's playing it, and everyone else is boys, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of women in sport that are like my age or my generation experience that and that in some ways like toughens you up or makes you mentally strong because then you know it's your passion like you you physically have to like go through hard times to go and do it um because it's it's not made easy for you but I, I don't know I just I just love football and I just kept going and my dad definitely was just like come on like you I think maybe seeing that I was good enough to be better than some of the boys so he was like kind of keen for me to keep going so um yeah that's kind of it really and how long did it take before you were um you were all playing all the all the boys on the team uh, <laughs> I don't know I don't know about that I'd say um, I'd say even at school and stuff I was one of the only girls I think in my, my high school um in my high school class that played football but listen by the way I could play by then you know so mm. you all you need to do is like nutmeg one of the lads in the class and that's it like <laughs> you've got the respect of everyone then and that's it so um yeah I enjoy playing I enjoy playing with the boys like it it definitely um it's better doing that than being one of the only girls playing or maybe one of a few girls that's not as good a level you know um, yeah. so almost out of no, like out of no choice I had to play with the boys for a certain period of time but certainly at St Johnston we did have a good a good group of girls and I was really um, fortunate to have moved to Perth and been able to join them you know and what did you play in Eurosports or did you take part in Eurosports as a child uh, I think I did I was quite sporty like I, I did a lot of sports like in school like I was just I could kind of turn my hand to, to anything um I quite liked badminton actually um oh, yeah I liked we did it at school I quite like I used to play with my dad uh, he was quite a good badminton player I think when he was younger um, so I used to play with him sometimes just like first just I just love to just do different sports um being a sporty girl at school I got roped into doing everything by like the PE department so like cross country and like athletics and that sort of thing but mm-hmm. I'm sure anyone that's watched me play football would I'm not a natural born athlete so athletics was quickly <laughs> quickly packed to the side um but yeah basketball I played I played most like kind of most sports but I always knew that football was going to be the only sort of real like thing I've committed if that makes sense. did it did it um do you think it, it benefits you that you you played a lot, you know, in different sports that you know resulted in in different body movements from a young age to, you know, it really primed you to you know play competitively. Then when you when you kind of went to Glasgow, do you think it's important for kids to play as many sports as they can? Yeah, I think so. I think for me as well. Like, there's a lot of like, um, obviously like transferable skills. There's a lot of similarities between certain sports, especially team sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think definitely in my in my personal experience it, it never did me any harm anyway. Um mm-hmm. and I still enjoy playing other sports today. I'm a PE teacher, so like even when I'm teaching the kids or um doing after school clubs or like coaching or anything like that, it's always just good to just have experience of other sports and um yeah, it's definitely something I think is a good thing. Well what would you've learned during your time growing up, I suppose, and it's you know, especially been in in teams that initially that would have been you know you'd have been the only girl what have you learned during that time and how isolating it can be that you you know that you try not that you try to help the current generation in school so you know if, if there's some kids that might have no interest well you know what i'm trying to ask like what would you've learned back then that you can you know apply and help kids nowadays in in school yeah listen i think it's a difficult one it's obviously not 
I think especially for girls, obviously there's a lot, there's a big drop off rate still with girls when they are in high school in terms of um, playing sport and mm-hmm. being like competitive in sport, especially. Um, I feel like the main thing I, I try and do when I'm coaching or if I'm teaching, like it just it's sometimes when I was that age, I didn't necessarily have like a, a female role model to look up to as much compared to maybe now um so just trying to maybe be that person um for the girls I'm teaching or coaching and trying to signpost them to people who are um like available for them to see on social media there's much more women's football on tv now mm-hmm. women's football obviously specifically but in other women's sports in general there's much more coverage now there's much more opportunity for girls to see what they can be when they're older so I think that's a really important thing that we can kind of hammer home with the young girls especially. Um, that maybe I didn't have when I was um, younger in terms of being the only girl and stuff I, I think sometimes it didn't actually phase me because I, I felt like I don't know I maybe just always had a like an awareness of myself that I, I was quite good at, like I, I knew I could do it so I just was like kind of you just kind of have to ignore it and put it put it past you and just like focus on yourself and not listen to the outside noise sort of thing and I think that's something that's really benefited me like in all walks of life there's always going to be people saying you can't do something or people giving opinions or people being negative you know and I think that's just one area where I experienced that at a young age and I just had to learn to you know I knew what I wanted to do and I knew the sort of skills I had and I just had to kind of put my mind to that and hopefully that's benefited me like as an adult. Oh, it definitely, as I say, from what you've achieved on the on the field, and um, you know what you're doing with with Onyx FC as well. Um, you know that's it's amazing as you talk there. Whether you you realize it or not, it's definitely your upbringing that has has shaped you into you know going down that route, setting up Onyx FC with with a few other girls. You know, you, you kind of want to, you want that platform to be you know have role role models there for. Mm-hmm. New generation of, of players, um, whether it's here in, in Dubai or, or wherever the case may be. Um, but tell us about your journey to, to Glasgow because Glasgow women's women's team, you know, have been absolutely phenomenal over the last 10 or 12 years. I know they obviously lost recently enough, but apart from that, they're they've been quite dominant, haven't they? Yeah, like obviously, I was part of the club for a decade, you know, it's a long time. They're just like such an amazing club. They've got such an amazing community, like really family feel about it. Like they obviously have their tagline, like once city, always city, but it, it rings true for anyone that's been there. You know, there's been players come and gone that have went on to bigger, better things, but I don't think I've heard of many people um, in that position saying a bad word about the club. And, you know, it's definitely, um, I feel very like lucky to have been there and it was a hard decision to leave, you know, but um, I just felt at that time it was the right thing to do. And um, I was a kid when I went to Glasgow City, you know. I went when I was 15 or 16, I joined. Um, so they were a massive part of me, like growing up and growing as a person as well as a player, you know. So, um, yeah, just I'll always have um, a connection sort of with them. And anytime I'm home, I, I meet up with the players that still play or, you know, the the chair the chairperson. And it's just... Yeah, can't say enough good things about it, to be honest. And did you move up to, to Glasgow um, when you joined initially? Did you did you move up there or were you just commuting for games? 
Um, no, so we were just commuting because I was still at school. So myself and Lisa Evans both lived in Perth, so we commuted together. Um, our dads are very good, good pals as well. So um, they would take turns. We would just travel one night a week. I think it was a Thursday. Um, we trained eight till 10. Um, so Perth's about an hour-ish drive from Glasgow, so we'd not get home till like 11 Thursday night. Then we'd obviously be at school first thing the next day. So it was a bit of a commitment at that time. But um, yeah, we just stayed at home and commuted for the first couple of years. And then we actually, I, I was obviously of age to go to university. So around that time, the SFA had set up the National Performance Centre at Stirling University. Um, so I had an interview to be one of the first members of that. And luckily, like, they chose me. So I was one of the first girls um, to be taken there. So luckily, that meant we we're on scholarship so we could stay on campus. Um, and just logistically, Stirling's like a half hour closer to Glasgow than Perth is. So um, there was older girls there. Um, who could drive so we would just share lifts or we would get the train um, to train in and we'd train four nights a week I think we went from two or three to four nights um, quite quickly once um, I was at the performance centre so um, we would train with the national performance centre during the day like in the mornings we trained three mornings I think two gym sessions and then we'd have four club sessions in the evenings so we'd all play for different clubs some of us would be at the same one, some at Glasgow City, some at Hib, some at other clubs. Um, and then we'd have a game on the weekend. So it was a, a pretty... Uh, pretty full on, wasn't it? Mm, definitely. And how did you manage that with, with college work? Were you, yeah, with university work? Well, like in terms of time-wise, we managed it because we trained at 7.15 in the morning. Um, so we're done at 8.30, I think. And then we just, if you had lectures... It would start either nine or ten, so you'd kind of just shower, go to your lectures, um, depending on your schedule or your course or what sort of year and uni you were in. You know, if you're in first or second, you've not got as much work as if you're in um, your kind of final year. Um, you'd try and squeeze a nap in, try and eat, and then you'd go off the training in the night time. So it was tough, but it just that's just what you're used to, and you were just wasn't to be there. Like there was only a handful of girls in the whole country selected to be there. You know, so. Jeez. It was definitely like an honour to be there and I was there when it first started. So, you know, you're kind of part of something that is just like it was my dream to be a professional footballer. Like when I was a young girl and when I got to the um, age of was at uni, like it was still a dream for me to do. So that was kind of like what was necessary to kind of push me to the next level sort of thing. So you just loved it. It was hard getting up, but you were all in the same boat. So you just you kind of just pull each other along, don't you? Yes, I suppose that environment that you know you're all training a high performance you you know center or whatever and culture that that culture kind of drove you all on. Um, and would you've been would you been full time with Glasgow then? Like, would you when did you become a full time player? Or are is there players full time? Is it, are players pay, paid and playing with Glasgow or what's the situation? Uh, now they are. There has definitely um, been that move in Scotland with a few teams, Glasgow City being one of them. When I was there, I wasn't I wasn't full time at all. We just it was very much we were the girls that were at uni. We were obviously training during the day and doing our studies, so we were like students. And then the other players that played with the club were um, they had jobs, so they would work like nine to five or whatever their jobs entailed, and train at night. Um, so maybe that time we were could maybe be like we trained probably almost as much um 
as like a professional you'd expect from professionals but you you couldn't say we were a professional maybe semi-pro um I think the first time we were able to even um pay players was then people like Denise O'Sullivan and some of the Irish players came over to Glasgow like they were kind of um paid by the club if you could say that but it wasn't like a the environment was professional for sure the training and the quality and the standard of sessions but in terms of that financial it's it's not like what the WSL is right now if I understand what I mean yeah yeah no definitely definitely and it's it'd be interesting just to get insight into um into the facilities in Glasgow because obviously you know when you when you say Glasgow to a lot of people it rolls off the mouth straight, straight away Rangers and, and, and Celtic what's it like having one Glasgow team I believe there's another does, does, does Celtic and Rangers have a women's team as well or did that come uh, would they be as would they have been as strong as, as Glasgow initially um, when I first joined um, Glasgow City um, Celtic were um, our biggest rivals they would be kind of who we um, would match up with in like cup finals for example or league titles or um, deciders and things like that um, but they were also the same they didn't really have uh, much backing from the, the club in term, in compared to what they do now Rangers and Celtic are very much well well backed now and have um, the clubs kind of fully behind them um, in terms of Glasgow City we're just a standalone club we weren't obviously affiliated with any, any men's team and I, I think that's like something that's really special about the club as well um i think that it's not sort of an issue that there's obviously people in the team when i was there some supported celtic some supported rangers but it didn't really it didn't matter it was just like it's just like living in scotland like some of your pals will be celtic fans some will be rangers fans some will be st johnson fans whatever it's just like a bit of it's kind of a good bit about football you know you can just have a bit of a laugh and a joke and stuff about that sort of thing but um, towards the end of my time in Glasgow City, Hibs were the massive rivals for us in terms of the league and the cups. Um, so it kind of chopped and changed, but certainly Celtic and Rangers have come into it now because they've got much more backing from their clubs, much more funding, much more support um, for them to allow the players to train more professionally. But Glasgow City has kind of been doing that all along, just not really with the... They don't have that sort of... Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It, it, I just find that very interesting with uh, obviously the sectarian divide there. Um, from the outside looking in, it's it, it's interesting. It's interesting how it hasn't led into issues with Glasgow uh, women's side as well. You know, it's it, obviously the one city where it's it's interesting how it hasn't caused any problem that way. Um, how did the commitment increase throughout your time? With Glasgow, because I know you, you, we already you already described, you know, when you were in in uni, um, but when you kind of began to, when you finished uni, how did the commitment increase? You you already trained was it training four nights a week and training three mornings a week? How did did that get did that increase further, or what was the the case? Um. Well, interestingly, like most people that leave uni, like I had to get a job then, <laughs> so my training actually decreased in terms of sessions because instead of training um, with the girls that I lived at uni with every morning or every few mornings, I was getting up and going to work. So it was more, it was more difficult um, to kind of keep that level or sort of load of training 
um, as high as it was before, just because I was I was working all day and then I was going to training at night. So I still trained four nights a week and um, still played the game on the Sunday. But in terms of the other training, I just had to try and find time to do either like sort of strength and conditioning or sort of prehab sort of exercises, which was really important for me. Obviously, I had a lot of injuries, so that was kind of something I had to just make sure I was on top of. But my training actually decreased when I leave, left uni just because of I had to work, I had to earn money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was t- like, but a lot of the a lot of the girls that played with Glasgow City for the bulk of the years that we were so successful were the same. We just worked in the day and then we trained at night. Um, and that was just how it was, um, which might sound surprising given how much success the clubs had and continued yeah. success. But that was that was it. And a lot of the girls that did that were the ones that drove the standards. They were the experienced ones and they, you know, kept the, the standards of the sessions really high. So that I just had to give my all for the four sessions a week. And that was kind of my bulk of my training. Yeah, it was actually, you know, a lot of the a lot of Irish people who would follow women's soccer, you know, would be aware of obviously Glasgow, um, obviously the the men's team there, but obviously Glasgow um, City as well because the big Irish contingent over the last couple of years, um, a lot of the Irish players who have gone on to obviously play in England or, or gone to the US have went through through Glasgow. And what was it like getting players, you know, from the from outside in? you know, whether it be from America or, or from Ireland coming into the club? Yeah, it was great. You know, when the, first of all, when the girls were um, coming over from Ireland, it was kind of like a, a sort of unknown. Like, we, I, I didn't really know um, anything about Irish women's soccer. But, like, I know you've had Denise on your podcast, but she was just an absolute dream to play with and train with. Like, someone of that quality, you know, is only going to make the team better and going to make the environment better, you know. Um, and there's been loads of girls over Savannah McCarthy, Kiva Keenan, Kate McCabe was there for a while on loan, you know. So there's there's been a good. I that was when I was there. Um, the Irish contingent. I know there's a few Irish players there just now as well. Um, it's great, you know. Like it's it's very like what's the word? Um, I feel like it's a very similar sort of like. Scotland and Irish like kind of culture and like the the kind of crack and you know like how like how you interact like part of like being part of a football team is just like the social side of it like the enjoyment and stuff so I think that just works really well as well and any of the girls that have come over it's just been a great addition to the team on and off the pitch you know. Would they have the girls that came in you know from the you know from different countries would they have had part-time jobs as well some of them? Yeah, I think some of them would have, yeah, because as I said, like Glasgow City weren't really in the position to be able to, to, to like pay people professionally, professional wages, you know. Um, so I think some of the girls did have, maybe they worked in a, a shop just around the, the corner or did other things um, during the day, even just to fill their days, because at that time there wasn't sort of um, sessions put on during the day for those players. It was kind of on them to train in the gym or go around or keep on top of things. Whereas I believe now um, there's sessions during the day and in the mornings and things for the girls who are from um, brought over from other countries because there's a lot of them now, I think, in the team. You played in the Champions League at the age of 16. Um, what was that? What was that like? Yeah, like it was, it was a bit mad, really, to be honest. Um, we'd kind of just... 
that was at the time when I was traveling from Perth. So we only trained with the first team on a, a Thursday night. And um, we basically played in the reserves. And um, so a lot of like young talent in Scotland was kind of brought together as a team. We played in the reserve league, which was like this, I think it was like the second division. And um, so two leagues below where the Glasgow City first team uh, played. Um, so we trained with the first team on Thursdays. And yeah, the coach at the time, Eddie Vilecki Black, he asked me if I, I wanted to go. They had a space and I was like, well, obviously I said, yeah. But at the same time, there was a Scotland under 17s um, trip, um, like a qualifying campaign happening immediately after the Champions League qualifying campaign. So um, there was a bit of a, like discussions had to be, had to be made <laughs> so that I could do both. Um, but yeah, it was unbelievable. Also, I went away just hoping that like I could just get a really good experience from it, learn from the girls, like be around the team. Obviously, I was really young and a lot of the, the women in the team were like maybe like 10, 15 years older than me, some of them, you know. Um, so it was a little bit um, intimidating, but I just loved every minute of it. And I actually ended up playing, I think uh, I started two games out of three or something. I came on as a sub mm-hmm. in the first game. And then I started the next two games. It was just like, I was like, God, I just didn't expect it at all. And then you're just, you're in it. You're just in the game and you're just playing. I think at that age, you're almost, you don't really think about it. You're just doing it, you know, with the support of the, the older girls. So yeah, it was unbelievable. And, and just to kind of maybe delve further into that, what was it like going into the dressing room? Was it daunting? Or, you know, I suppose looking back now, did you just kind of, you know, taking in your stride because you might have been that young. You know, if you're a bit older, you might have been more aware of the whole the whole occasion. Especially, I believe, you played against the current champions at the time in the last 16, which was quite surreal for 16-year-olds. Yeah, like, in terms of the dressing room, like, yeah, of course, it's a bit daunting. It's like anything, like, you're kind of going into a group that you're, you're new to. And we trained with them on Thursday night, so I, I knew, like, the players and I knew the girls, but they were just so good. They were just so good with me, you know. Um, they looked after me. They like just treated me as like one of their obviously their own group, and um, they probably could see that I was good enough to be there. So do you know what I mean? Why why wouldn't they be like that? Um, and in terms of playing the, the I remember just walking out for that game against um, the Indian champions, and I just was thinking like they were from Germany, and I was just looking at them, thinking like they were just going to crush me. Like they were so, they were just. I felt like they were like seven feet tall or something. It was just. It was mad, but yeah, it was it was good. We obviously got beat, but it was such a, a good experience. I'm really grateful that I got, I got the opportunity to play, you know. You know, you, you've experienced, we, we kind of touched on already, you've experienced a lot of setbacks. You've done your, I think, am I right in saying you've done your ASL three times? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then you did, so when did the, the cruciate issues start coming in, into play? I did my first ACL when I was 17. Jeez. Um. Yeah. So I did that. I actually we were on a Scotland under 17s camp in La Manga in Spain, um, and we were doing our last training session before our first game, and um, yeah, it happened then. We didn't know it was that at the time. I didn't know until I came home, Scotland, and had a scan and stuff. Did you kind of just scanned it for precaution? They didn't think it was anything as serious as that, and it turned out it was. And then I did my second one on the other knee when I was 19, also on a Scotland trip. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of a trend here is there <laughs> yeah um so that was my very last it was a qualifying campaign we were in austria 
Um, and that was my very last sort of qualifying campaign at under 19s because I was too old then, obviously the next year to play under 19s. Um, so that was a that was a hard one. That was a devastating one. So I kind of it's a crucial time, you know, from under 19s. There wasn't like an under 21s or an under 23s for Scotland. It was literally under 19s. Then you're the full full A squad, you know, your sort of senior senior Scotland team then. So at the time that was tough because I knew that I was going to miss out on such a, a crucial period um, of development and sort of like trying to push to um, make that next step, you know. Um, and then I did my third one when I was kind of still coming back from my second one. Um, How did it happen? Did you not do it right? Did you not do rehab, rehab right looking back? I think in hindsight, I just started to do too much too soon. Um, I started to step things up um, just too much. And like retrospectively looking back, like, and now I'm older, like I just see, totally see more the value in rest than training. You know, I think a lot of people, especially when you're young, you know, you're like, you need to train, 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 train. Like if you miss a session, it's like terrible and like it's the worst thing to do. But in hindsight now, like looking back, like I, I wasn't giving my body enough time to recover. I was doing a lot of training and um, I just, all my, all my ACL injuries have been non-contact. So it's just been, I've just turned, turned and it's just kind of like went from under me. So. Um, what do you think it was yeah, that kind of set it off? Do you know, that set off the ACL, the, the first injury? Do you think it was just not recovering properly or? I don't know. I think when I was at uni, I actually did a lot of research on it for my degree. Um, obviously, I had a vested interest in it since I was like living it. <laughs> but uh, I think there's just a lot of factors. I think maybe I just wasn't um, maybe biomechanics, like the way I run, for example. Um, I was obviously at a time where I think at that time, stepping from like, and being in the reserve team and training with the first team once a week to then training with the first team two, three, four times a week. I think that increasing intensity was obviously took a toll. And also the amount of sessions that we were doing at the Natural Performance Centre. I think it was just maybe accumulation of loads of factors and a bit of bad luck. I think sometimes these, these things are just bad luck and I, I can't really say there was one reason why it happened. But obviously once you've done one, there's an inherent risk that you're going to do another one you know it's I can't remember exactly what the stats are but once you do one there's a high, a high chance that you're going to do um like the contralateral and the other leg so I don't know yeah what was the psychological damage after doing the first one you know, and in, in, when you did the second one and coming back you know had you issues or did you find it difficult putting pressure on your on your foot in in, in contact games you know think, I, I, i'm just trying to, to gain insight into your mindset then i think it's different like each injury came with its own like psychological or like mental sort of um impacts like in terms of my first one like i didn't even know i remember the the surgeon i was in the appointment with the surgeon when he was reading the results of the scan and like my dad was with me and he was like, oh, you've done your ACL. And I was like, all right. Like, I didn't know what an ACL was. I was like, all right, cool. Like, what's that? Like, what are we doing now? And he's like, oh, I need surgery. I'm like, all right, okay. Surgery, fine. And like, I could just, I just looked at my dad and he was obviously, he knew what an ACL was because 
obviously he's a, a, like a football fan and like he's knows about sport and stuff and he kind of was looking a bit glum and I was like oh but I said oh how long is, does it take to come back and he said like nine months to a year and I was just like so in terms of that like the first year I didn't really know what was in store I didn't really know what to expect I just was like right well let's just do it and like I'll get back playing um the second one was tough because obviously I was on the Scotland trip and because once you do it one time like whoever's done it more than once you just know when it's happened again like you don't even need the scan like you just know that's what's happened and I think the girls that I was playing with on the day as well like were my close friends and like had seen me doing the rehab the whole kind of time before to get back to where I was and I was playing really well at the time and it was just kind of more devastating that way because like I touched on before it was my last game for under 19s at Scotland so I just knew that I was going to miss out on on so much um in terms of like playing for my country for example um but when I did the second one I was like oh I kind of thought oh well like maybe there was just a weakness there and they're both done now so that that's them both repaired you know I don't know sometimes you just kind of clutch at straws that way but that's kind of what I thought I was like right well at least they're both fixed now I'll just move on move on I'm only 19 like I'm still young whatever and then the third one I was just I honestly was just like I'm just gonna quit (laughs) which was probably a bit dramatic at the time but I think that like was a really tough one to take like really hit me hard that one um it was a really, yeah, just not that, not that I expected to have the first or second one, but like I just really didn't expect the third one. I just, it just kind of like came and I was just like, God, like what can I do now? Like what am I going to do? I just felt like my football career was like finished. Um, so that was hard. Um, took me a, a good few weeks to kind of like not stay in my room when I wasn't needed to be out in my room like for training or for the gym or for uni you know I kind of just kind of shut myself off for a bit so um that was a tough a tough um thing to sort of come to terms with but luckily there was other girls coming up to the national performance center like new like a new sort of batch of girls um coming and um one of those girls Fiona Brown she'd done her ACL and that was her first one so that kind of gave me a sort of like kick up the bum, if you like. And I was like, well, I can't. What's she going to think if I'm here quitting? Because I've done an ACL and she's only whatever age, 17 or whatever she was. And she's she's seen someone that's got the same injury as her quitting. Um, so we ended up kind of our surgeries kind of aligned quite similar in terms of the times they happened. And we just ended up doing a rehab together and. There was another few girls at the academy at the National Performance Centre that had knee injuries as well. Um, so it ended up being like four or five of us that kind of just dragged each other along again. And that, that's kind of what sort of like, what's the word? Um, helped me like overcome sort of like the challenges mentally with like coming to terms with the third the third ACL. So I'm just really grateful for that. And like, um I don't know if I'd have been able to do it without the other girls there, you know. That was the third ACL, was it? Yeah, the third yeah. one, yeah. Did you come back playing with, with Glasgow after that? Or did was that kind of, was it around then you started to think, you know, I might pack it in and, and move abroad? Like, when did, just trying to bring it through the timeline, did you still play on for a couple of years? Yeah, so that my third ACL happened when I was 20, so I was still young, like. um. 
So I end up, yeah, I just did my rehab. I was like, you know what, I'll just do it. Like, I was still at uni and I was still at the National Performance Centre. I was still on a scholarship. Like, they stood by me. Like, they were like, we'll give you, like, we have the physio support. We have, like, the strength and conditioning. You have, like, the daily, like, uh, the daily training still going on. So I could go down and we could do um, our rehab together. We could go down to the pitch and do it at the same time as the girls would train. So you're still part of the group. Um, and I was, so that's kind of the lucky thing. I was still at the National Performance Centre. So that almost, you couldn't waste that opportunity, you know, you couldn't waste, like, you couldn't get access to the, that sort of, like, support and resources if you weren't there, if that makes sense. It would have been a different story if I was living at home in Perth with my parents and didn't have that sort of support and that daily sort of routine. Um, so, yeah, I, I got back from that injury and I ended up um, kind of getting back playing, but it was it was tough. Um, so I actually went out on loan. Um, to a team Hamilton I went out on loan so I could get kind of back when I was back fit I could get minutes under my belt and um, kind of get back to playing and I, I loved it it was great um, it was really really good and then came back to City and I played there till I was 26 um, so I've, all, I've always been at Glasgow City and they've always stood by me and they've always kept me they didn't want um, want to like leave, leave me go anywhere or um didn't want to see me sort of give up they definitely stood by me like everyone at the club like the coaches the chair the chairperson um the players um all the kind of staff like and that I've been lucky enough to work with while I was there at the club they just were really really supportive and um I ended up playing like like playing a good few years after that like after the third ACL I played till I was 26 at Glasgow City so what have been the biggest differences evident that you would have seen in, in your performance as a result of those three ACLs? Was it speed or, or how quick you could turn? Um, well, I was never the most pacey player. I was, uh, I used to play, I played centre mid, so that was my position. Um, so as kind of a consequence of my ACL injuries and the way the women's game was going, like to play centre midfield, like the way it was going then, like you needed to be able to get around, like you needed to be, have a good engine, you needed to be agile, you needed to be able to be like everywhere, you know. Um, and just to have that, obviously in midfield, you're kind of like you're kind of have to work 360, you know, you have to kind of be looking all the time and turning and that sort of thing. So I had to move back. And um, my coach said he thought I would do better moving back to centre centre half. Um, so playing in the back, in the back four, in the in the middle, um, so that obviously just alleviated the sort of maybe um, athletic qualities I lacked to, to sort of make the most of my um, talent on the ball. Yes. Yeah, like I, I'm, I was a technical player, so like I was like when I had the ball, I was I would be very good with it. I wouldn't give it away much, and I would like do something with it for the team. But in terms of maybe like being able to get myself into positions where I could affect the game or doing the other sort of side of it, the dirty work and getting back and being physical and being able to cover a lot of ground compared to other players that were there. I just wouldn't have been able to do that effectively for the team. So I moved to centre half, which was fine. Like Glasgow City is a team that plays with the ball out from the back and we have a lot of the ball in the Scottish League. Um, so that suited me. I was comfortable with the ball coming out from the back. So I was able to contribute to the team there. But I'm like a cent- I'm a centre midfielder at heart, you know. That I feel like that's my uh, that's where my sort of like real like talent lies. So that was kind of the uh, the comp. 
compromise. You know, I was back like playing and I was fit and I was doing well for the team, but I wasn't really in a position that I thought I could excel at, if that makes sense. What, what about the decision to, to, you know, to move abroad at such a young age? It probably would have been your prime of your, of your career. I just felt that, like that season, I played most of the games. Um, I was playing centre-half, but I, play, I played most of the games. Um, I played most of the big games as well, like cup finals, Champions League, um, knockout games. Um, and I just felt that I was working during the day. So I was working like most of the day and then I was training at night. So there literally wasn't anything else I could do to make that next step, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like I couldn't, I didn't have the sort of means to take my game to the next level sort of thing. I would have needed to train full time, but how can you train full time unless you need money to live? Like I needed to work um, to have money, to, like like everyone does in any walk of life you know you need to have a job and that just wasn't available at the time and I I don't know who's to say if I was offered to become professional somewhere or like at Glasgow City or whatever then maybe I could have made that next step but these are just kind of like on reflection you just like you're just in that situation you just have to work you're just going to work and you're you're going to train in at night and that's all you can really do there wasn't really anything else I could have done um I, I felt at the time that could have taking me to the next level and I just felt like it was a good time just to to leave and maybe try and pursue another sort of dream if you like you know I felt like I wasn't gonna make it would there have been interest from other teams during your career um that would have kind of raised your your head or raised your interest like if if um if a call came from the the women's soccer league in in uh in the US would you would you have been interested yeah, for sure, I would have. Yeah, uh, but it's one of those ones. You know, is is that ever going to come? You know, like mm. I, I didn't want to be. I was twenty five, twenty six at the time. I didn't want to kind of just be sitting there like waiting for something to to come about. You know, I felt like I, I I'm quite impatient. I think as a person sometimes, um, and I just I love traveling and I love going to. Um, like different countries, different places, which I was lucky to do with football. We travelled all across Europe, you know, with Scotland or Glasgow City, which was amazing. And I loved that side of it. So I thought, I can always just really want to live in another country. Obviously, I hoped that it would be playing football in another country for as like a footballer, but that wasn't to be. So I just kind of, I didn't want to sit around and kind of wait for something to happen. I, I felt like I just had to go and do it and... Um, do something, find something else that I really enjoyed or just to add something different to my life, if you get me. How did you deal with, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of players who retired or forced retired due to injury um, or whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, they've spoken about the identity change or identity struggle, you know, no longer being that that athlete or that player. Um, do you find that difficult or... or I suppose the fact you moved away, you probably didn't. Did it did it affect you as much as it probably would if you did stay around Glasgow? I think definitely moving away helped. Um, like you say, like if I stayed around Glasgow or stayed in Scotland, I definitely. I don't think I would have done it. Like if I stayed in Scotland, I would have, I would have stayed playing with Glasgow City. I, I would have if they'd have wanted to keep me. You know, um, I definitely 
wouldn't have been able to step away if I lived in Scotland. But moving over here, it was something new. It was a challenge. It was something different. And I just, I think, even though I wasn't a professional, like we did so much training and there was so much commitment and there was so much sacrifice from for years of my life, you know, for like a good 10 to 15 years that when I moved over here, obviously I went to Fujera to begin with. Mm-hmm. It was actually, I just loved not having that pressure of like, oh, you've not trained today, like you should really train or um, I like to just have more spare time. Like my evenings, I'd, I'd finished school and I'd be like, oh, I've got my, oh, I can do anything this evening. I don't have to go to training or I'm not accountable, you know, to that sort of team environment. Whereas if I'm not in good shape, then I'm letting the team down sort of thing. So I actually, I actually really, really enjoyed having that free time. And I ended up actually the only sort of sports team that was available in Fajera at the time was the Gaelic football team. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, just to make friends, like I didn't know anyone. They're like, oh, we, we do this sort of sport. Like, if you want to come down and try it and stuff. So I was like, I want to make friends, obviously. So I was like, okay, like, I'll just come. Like, when you move somewhere new or you're in a different country, you just, even if you can't be bothered going, you just go because you need to meet people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went down and I trained and I loved it. I, I, I'd never played it before and I absolutely loved it. How would you describe it? I just felt like you could... Obviously, I played football for my whole life. I just felt like you could just do so much more. There were just so much more options, like for you to do, like with the ball. So, yeah, yeah like I, I loved that I played with Vegeta, and like now I still play now in Dubai. I play with Kerry Middle East. Oh, um, Kerry side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I love it. Like I, like I just obviously it's not my main sport, but I, I go to training and I go to tournaments over here, and it's like something I really, really enjoy and look forward to. You know. That's uh, that's amazing. I never, I never knew you play you play Gaelic football, no. Um, and like, what, what, how did Onyx FC come up, come about? Tell me what it is, um, why you've, why you've set it up, and the goals of it. Um, well, basically, I play over here. As I say, I played Gaelic football with Kenny Middle East, but I also played, um, like seven aside. There was a seven aside soccer league for women. Um, so I played in that for a couple of years um, and I met some um, my friends through there. Um, most of them are teachers um, and also like kind of football coaches. Um, and I was doing a bit of coaching. Um, I worked for the government. So we were teaching online for like the year of COVID um, from 2020 to 2021. So I had more spare time um, in the evenings instead of traveling to and from school. So I actually started coaching for the year um and there's loads as you probably know there's loads of academies over here there's loads of sports provision and for all sports not just football and um myself and um a couple of my other friends just felt that we could give more for young girls over here um in terms of having a place having football sessions that is geared towards them like similar to what i experienced at glasgow city you know it's for the it's like women for women girls for girls you know it's it's everything that you do is geared for them and I, that's just something that myself and the other coaches really passionate about and we thought like we like, we can do a better job for the girls like, like why don't we just do it and we're just like okay and we just it just kind of came together then and um that's obviously a long story short but that's kind of where it was born from and onyx like the name onyx is a gemstone for anyone that doesn't know so it's a black gemstone um 
it's kind of symbolizes like strength, authenticity, wisdom. So that's kind of what we, why we named it that. It's just kind of our clubs like born in those values. And we just really want to be a catalyst for women's football over here in this region, you know, in this country, in this region. And I think all of us are involved in the business. Like we're women who want to empower women and girls, you know, um, and that's expats and locals. Um, and it's just, it's just really exciting. Like, I'm just, like, it's just kind of come together almost. Like, you're asking me how it's come together. It just kind of has. It's just like an idea that's just kind of snowballed and we're into the, the thick of it now. And we just, there's so many different things we want to do. And we just really want to um, be something that girls can look up to in this, in this area. And really, as I say, be the catalyst for um, girls and women in football over here. And, um, just make that pathway sort of there's loads of academies as I say but there's not really any any unless they they go home to the UK or Ireland or Europe or USA wherever they're from to like go to university and play there there's not really a pathway for them to come into like women's football like sort of senior football so um, we've got a really successful first team here and we've got really good good players and we've got really good people at the club so I think um, we just really want to kind of showcase that and get um, the academy launched next um, next term in January and just really try and um, push for women and girls to be, you know, the the centre of attention for our club, you know, like it's for them. So, so it's really exciting. So, yeah, so, so at the moment, you know, you have a first team um, and you're in the process of launching the academy. What's the medium to long term goal if everything goes according to plan so basically we want to have like for example when I joined Glasgow City they had the first team then we became the reserve team the young ones now they have literally down all that from senior to reserve to like teenager to this age this age, all the way down to the wee tops you know that's what that's what we want we want to have like a complete pathway all the way through from small, small, you know, three, four-year-olds all the way up into the first team. Um, that would be the dream. That would be the long-term goal. Um, also, to have our own facility that's, like, for women. Like, we're the first female-only owned club. Everyone that's um, part of the business is female. Um, and obviously, with the cultural considerations here, like, we want to have a venue where, like, women and girls of all sort of creeds, all cultures all ages, all sort of backgrounds can feel comfortable um, playing football and exercising and socialising together. So we'd love to have like a venue that would just be ours. Um, there's so many things that we um, we sort of have like ideas of or in the pipeline or planned. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just really exciting. It's just a lot, obviously, um, as I said before, we just really want to be the catalyst for empowering women and girls in sport over here, like namely in football, you know. Um, what well, what's the uptake? What has the uptake been like? You know, with some of the local women, it's been great. You know, this time we've kind of focused on. Uh, we had our first team playing in the Arabian Women's Football League, so that's the seven side league, which we won. So that was excellent. Um, and the other side of that, we've formed like a social group or a social team. So that's women who. Are just coming down it's like play as you go it's like 30 dirhams to just come down 
have an hour session. It's a chance for them to get to know new people, get to know other women. Some some women are mothers and um, have uh, their own families. Some women come from Abu Dhabi. Some women are from here. Some women are, women are from different parts of Europe, America, you know. Um, so it's just like a melting pot of all cultures. And it's just, it's just great. So that's been our main focus. This term is kind of building that sort of community vibe. We really mm-hmm. want to have an environment where people can come down. It doesn't matter your level, you know. We obviously cater for high-level players, which we have in the first team that play in the um, seven-a-side league. Um, but also on a social side, players who just want to come down and run around, enjoy themselves and really create that sort of like community vibe and somewhere where you can go just to have a good time, you know. Where are you located? Or, or I know you've no actual exact building or, or, or base at the moment, but where do you try to... Do you try to strategically locate somewhere that people from the other, the other um, states can 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 come as well? Because obviously yeah. trying to get, get pitches in, in Dubai can be quite difficult. Yeah, it's hard. And there's as I say, there's so much sports provision as well. So and also, you'll know living in Dubai, it's an absolute nightmare to get from one side of Dubai to the other. Like the traffic's <laughs> insane. So um in terms of launching the academy next time, we're trying to um confirm a few venues that are different areas of Dubai on different nights if you get me mm-hmm. um so that's definitely the plan so we can try and make sure that um the opportunity is there for as many girls as possible um at the minute our first team and our social te- team train at Safa British School on a Monday um from seven till eight so that's where we've been all term um and I believe will be their next term as well um so, yeah, it's just a bit of, as you say, it's a bit of trial and error. There's a lot of venues and there's a lot of sports provision already. So it's just trying to find the right balance, you know. How difficult is it to set up, um, you know, a business or, or you know, um, set up something like this uh, in, in Dubai? You know, has there been a lot of obstacles to, to overcome? Um, not, There's not really been obstacles, to be honest. I think Dubai is like a... A really great place to um, start a business and to start something like what we have obviously the difficulty is sort of um the time that we have um we obviously all have jobs um like day jobs per se so it's finding the time to make sure that we can set things up and obviously only myself and the other one of the other girls are coaches so there's only two of us to coach at the minute so that's obviously um tough to try and do and we're obviously busy during the day because we're um we're doing our own jobs and so I think that's the biggest challenge at the minute but hopefully obviously down the line um we'll be able to sort of grow and expand and be able to have other females join us um in terms of the coaching side of things and yeah like it's it's new to it's new to me Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm just kind of learning as I go and um any feedback we've had from anyone about it they they think it's a good idea and there's a gap in the market here for it and um my dream is obviously to kind of create something similar to Glasgow City but over here you know um like how incredible would that be but these are all things that um we kind of like dream to happen so it's just about getting it done now and doing it and just kind of learning as we go and it's just exciting really you know Definitely, and definitely, you know, Dubai is, is, is it's 
ever changing every couple of days is changing new you know it's definitely moving moving forward um in all walks walks of life and it's it's good yeah it's great to see new businesses you know opening up and hopefully you know what you're you're hoping to get done will you know next year will be another step step towards that goal um and it's great to hear as well that the locals are are buying into it you know which is is, is extremely important um and how many would you have at the moment in the in the club Overall, I think there's about, um, in terms of our first team, it's obviously a seven-a-side uh, league, so you're allowed to register 12 players for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had 12 players in the squad for that um, this year. Um, and there's been about 30, 30 to 40, maybe, women that have come to the social sessions, not all at once, but um, one week or the next week, depending when it's free for them. That's kind of the, um, I think, with a social team, you can't ask people to commit too much. It's there if they want to come. It's play like play as you go. If they want to come down, it's thirty dirhams. There's no sort of like overarching commitment on it. So it's been great, and a lot of the women that have come are, are keep coming back and keep asking. Even um, tonight, they were asking if we were training next week, um, and asking like, "Oh, well, it's kind of Christmas holidays. I kind of want to have a um, a sort of week without it." But there's appetite for it, so we may even, you know, as a club, we're not just about football like we may even just go down to the beach do like a, a sort of beach soccer session or mm-hmm. you know, do a, a walk or run you know along kite beach there's loads of things we can do um sort of outside of football that still doing exercise together but you know it's kind of a, a community feel you know brilliant 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 um you know you, you've gone through a huge amount of uh setbacks in your career you know especially with the, the acl would, would be the the standout um a standout point how do you look we're all human and we all deal with negative talk and self-doubt how do you address that and deal with that i mean it's it's tough for sure um i think i'm definitely in a much better place now living out here in regards to that um because obviously i play um in the league and i'm a kind of player coach with the club um at the minute but there's not that uh, pressure to say you know um whereas when I was at home in Scotland um through the injury certainly it's it's really tough um to kind of work through and to keep to keep sort of going when you're not really sure especially after my my second and third ACLs I didn't really know if I was actually going to get back playing you know and you, you kind of doubt whether you actually want to at the same time um so I think now that I'm older, like I have much um, a much better awareness um, of what I need to do and what helps me overcome sort of like negative self-talk or um, feeling down. Um, so in terms of me personally, I just, number one, the weather out here is fab most of the year. Um, so like simply just getting outside for a walk, going out a walk. I love my music. I have um, I invested in a good set of headphones that are noise cancelling. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally go out for a walk or um, there's places around where I live I can just go sit in the park headphones on read a book just kind of zone out and have time I think it's really important to have time off my phone which is tough when you're obviously trying to um, keep in contact with people in terms of the club and training and sessions and all that sort of stuff but I think it's really important for me to have time away from my phone and um, away from social media and just to zone out from it um 
and I'm just much more aware now that I'm older of when I'm starting to feel like that and what I should do to sort of make myself feel better, you know? Um, no, definitely, definitely. And I think that the phone and the, the social media is definitely having, you know, it's having a negative effect on, on everyone, um, especially current players, you know, they're, they're much more accessible than they were back in in, uh, in your days. And I don't, I'm not making you feel, you know, old now, but, you know, it, it the last couple of years, players are way yeah. more accessible through, through social media. Um, what have you learned during your career that, you know, that has shaped you into the person you are today? This was mainly through those setbacks. Yeah, I, I've obviously learned a lot, but I think, I think when you were saying earlier about like an identity crisis and stuff during the during COVID when people were um, kind of training on their own and then when people have to retire due to injury, for example, I think that it took me a long time to, like in terms of my self-talk, to realise, like I used to always just say like, well, I only want to be a footballer, like, I'm only good at football. That's all That's all I'm good at, like what I'm going to do if I'm, I can't play football. It was That was like constant talk to myself. But like I realised through that, like I, I'm, I'm very good at a few things, you know. Um, I think moving here really opened my eyes to that and um, I managed to find other things that, I am good at and I enjoy and I have passion for. Obviously, football is still a massive um, part of that, but um, I think that's one of the things um, that I've learned through those sorts of injuries that you do have a lot of time to think and you do have a lot of time to reflect. Um, and also another one is just like to ask for help. I think especially, it's obviously talked a lot more about now than when I was younger um, like mental health and especially around sport and um, athletes um, I think that's something that I've massively it's been a massive learning curve for me um, and I've been so lucky to have a couple of people who've been a massive support to me in that in that regard and I think especially with injuries it's it's always focused on the physical, you know, like your ACL, you do it. Okay. You do a bit of prehab, you get the surgery. Then there's a protocol like week one and two, you're doing this three and four, you're doing this. And it's very regimented and you know what, what to expect physically. And if you don't make this number, then you're, you're going back and you know, there's a, a process in terms of like the sort of process mentally, it, it doesn't go like that. It's not linear, you know, it's literally like up and down and you could be down for ages, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, one massive learning curve has been to ask for help because you can't do it all, all yourself. Um, especially like I'm quite an independent person and I, I can I enjoy my own time and I can do things on my own. But like you need you need other people around you, you need support, whoever that may be from. And that's probably the standout um, learning sort of curve for me. And what would be your microphone? Whatever's wrong with it. What would um what would be your morning routine? On like a working day, or if I just had the day to myself? Um, on a working day, yeah, it's actually interesting. Where you have two different morning routines because usually yeah. you know you, you talk to you talk to players or retired players, mm. you get all kind of answers. But <laughs> what would like would you get up have a coffee or or what would you do? Would you do foam rolling or, or what? Would the, the KSB. Um, I actually hate foam rolling. I'm 
<laughs> I'm actually terrible. Like, and this is probably another reason why I couldn't be a professional. I feel like I've realised in the last year or so that I maybe wouldn't have made it pro because the thought of foam rolling every morning makes me all like, I don't like it. Um, I'm sure I would get into it if, um, if needs be, but definitely up in the morning, have a coffee. Love coffee. Or even going for a coffee, especially here in the winter time, it's so nice outside. Mm-hmm. Um, if weather permitting, obviously it's not too hot in the summer months, I'd go out for a walk, get up, have a coffee, go for a walk, have my music in, maybe sit somewhere, read a book, um, come back. And I, if I have training to do, I prefer to do it in the morning. Um, I'm terrible mm-hmm. if, I, if it's hanging over me all day or I've got to do a session or I should really go to the gym. If I don't get up and do it in the morning, I, I won't do it. I'm terrible for that. Um, so, yeah, that would probably be sort of a rough morning routine. Coffee, train if I need to, or get out in the sun, kind of have a walk, read a book, or sit at the pool, you know? You know, if you're teaching, would you do a session before work? No. <laughs> uh, I'm not really a morning person, so, like, I travel an hour and ten minutes to work. Oh. Um, I work in Hatta, so I work for a government school, so you're kind of, you work where you're put sort of thing. Um, my school's lovely. I love it. The teachers are amazing. Um, it's a local school. It's all local girls that I teach. So I'm up at about six o'clock to travel to school. I leave about half six. So not really a fan of getting up at like five and training, but that, yeah, that just wouldn't be for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd spend, because I spend so much time traveling. Um, I wouldn't train before work, but hopefully in the future, um, if I can work you know, a bit closer to home, I'd much prefer to get out of the way. I think it's a good way to start the day, you know. Would you do your training in the evening? Is, is that what you normally do? Yeah, Yeah, it depends on the schedule. But if we've got like football training, obviously I'd do football training. If not, I try and go to the gym straight after school. Because um, if I come home and sit on the couch, that's it, done. The, the, I'm stuck there. I'm stuck there for the evening. Um, so yeah, I have to try and get in a routine of either going straight to the gym after school if I've not got football or Gaelic football sessions um otherwise I just go to the Gaelic football or football sessions at night time what are two daily <laughs> non-negotiables for you number one I think is like time management like I hate being late and I hate like the thought of being late I don't know if that comes from being at Glasgow City like you would get like you wouldn't be late because if you're late you were dropped like for example on a game day like I hate the thought of being late or like for like forgetting something or being in a rush like I, I don't like that so time management 100% is like a non-negotiable for me um I'd rather be early than be late um and sort of everything like I attend especially like my training sessions or football you know um so that's number one um number two another non-negotiable for me I think in terms of like football in terms of training I think one massive thing I've learned through being injured is that I'm very grateful for the time I'm on the pitch and I'm very grateful that there's geniuses out there who can do these operations and get you back playing so like another non-negotiable for me is literally like work work ethic or effort um like when I'm on the pitch or when I'm coaching like I give everything that I have you know and I don't like the thought of like that time being wasted if that makes sense um so I think that's another non-negotiable for me like if you're going to do something do it right do it properly there's no point doing doing it halfway in my opinion um so that would be my second non-negotiable 
I just want to curiosity, have you any rituals when you're playing? So not rituals, but probably because I was injured again, literally every Saturday night I had to be in the bath. Like I had to have a bath before a game on a Sunday. I had Jeez. to do it. And like I, I didn't like to not be in my own bed either. I like to sleep in my own bed on like a like a night before a game. Obviously, when you're Champions League or you're playing like with Scotland or you're abroad, whatever, playing. Like you would be in a hotel or you'd be like um, staying somewhere else. But um, in Scotland, when they played with Glasgow City, I had to be in my own bed in my flat or like in my like my parents' house in Perth. Um, and I was in the bath. Just I don't know if that was psychological or physical. Like with my knees, I just felt like it just just prepped my legs or something for the game. I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. Um, but in terms of like pre-game rituals, like in terms of like changing rooms and putting one shoe on in a certain order or a shin pad or I didn't have anything like that. I just always went out a wee five minutes early to do like my, like, uh, the, you know, the looped bands, like the activation and stuff. Um, but I think that just came from my injuries and my rehab and just being told that it was important and feeling like if I didn't do it, I wasn't prepared, if that makes sense. Um, and last last question, is leaving a legacy, you know, the, the your football career, you definitely made an impact there. Um, is leaving a legacy in, in you know post football career is that is that important to you? Uh, you mean in terms of Glasgow City or in terms of like? Um, so you 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 obviously left an impact with with um you know with Glasgow City, but I'm saying you know with, with say Onyx FC is that something you like to you know for it to to work out and leave leave, leave a legacy? Yeah, I think definitely. Like first and foremost, like we're the first fully female-owned football club in the UAE. Like number one, like that's something that we're really proud of and really want to to showcase and to hammer home. And we want to, we do want to be the catalyst for change over here in terms of things are changing already. But we really want to just push that agenda forward um, and get as much women and girls involved in football as possible. Get like. Um, that sort of community and environment like really really going forward and um, in terms of a legacy like I love living here I love living in Dubai and being able to set up this club and be a part of this club it's something that I want to do for a long time and if we leave a legacy and we leave women's football and women's involvement in sport on the wider scale like in a better place than when we found it then that's what we want to do and um, it's a real passion for us and the women and girls are not just an add-on like they're not just an add-on to the academy because like the academy is like they are like the forefront of what we want to do and what we want to push and um yeah like it'd be like obviously it'd be great to leave like I say but at this moment in time we just have to focus on sort of the short-term medium-term goals we want to achieve and just really try and help women and girls over here that want to be involved and want to have a safe space to um, express themselves and meet new people and exercise. I want to give them the opportunity to do that with us, you know? Definitely. Oh, definitely, definitely. Look, I am after taking a huge amount of your time. I think we covered a huge amount into your, your, your mindset and um, hope for the future with, uh, with Onyx FC. Hopefully down the line with, with that, we'll catch up again um, for part two. But thanks very much for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. And best look with everything going forward. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
Cheers. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Lauren. I think with a great insight into her career and hopes for Onyx FC. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in any way possible. Follow us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook. It's On The Ball Team Building. Over on Instagram, it's at underscore On The Ball Team Building. Over on Twitter, it's at We Are On The Ball 2. That's the digit 2. You'll find us on LinkedIn, uh, On The Ball Team Building. And you'll also find us on TikTok, On The Ball Team Building. Have a lovely week. And be sure to tune in next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.